Uh, See if you agree with what I'm about to say. The greatest proof of your purpose is not how far you can logically analyze your reasons for believing, but how far in practice you will stake your life upon it. I know it's a bit beefy, but I'll be repeating in just a moment. See, do you believe this? I want to see if we believe this. Do we believe that the greatest proof of your purpose is not how far you can logically analyze your reasons for believing, but how far in practice you will stake your life upon it? Is this true of your life? Is this true of your purposes? See, I think being in L.A., I would be surprised if anybody here would disagree with this. You see, as much as we are city, you know, we are the, the, the city of angels, I think we are way more the city of ambition. See, everyone here is in pursuit. Everybody here, Christian or not Christian, we are in pursuit, practicing our or their purpose. See, we often say, you know, nobody just ends up in LA. Nobody just randomly ends up in LA. Nobody pays this kind of rent. Nobody tolerates this kind of traffic. Nobody pays $18 for one piece of sushi. Maybe, or maybe I would actually. God bless it. Because we just randomly ended up here. Far from it. We are on our mission here, aren't we? So whether Christian or unchristian, it seems that we are all staking our lives for our purpose, for our mission. To win this or to create that, to be the best at this, to invest here, to empower there. Everybody has a mission in their life. But tonight is about uncovering the mission. Tonight is about uncovering the mission. A mission that far succeeded our own personal mission. A a mission far more dire than our own mission, purpose, aim, or ambition, or whatever we can make up ourselves. So obviously, if if you've been around the church, or if you know anything about the church, but if not, what I'm talking about is God's mission. I'm talking about God's mission and our imperative command of participation within it. Our imperative command of participation within it. To stake our lives upon that belief. The widely known and extremely profound poet T.S. Eliot has said this, the greatest proof of Christianity for others is not how far a man can logically analyze his reason for believing, but how far in practice he will stake his life on his belief. See, tonight we ask you yet again, how far in practice will you stake your life upon what you believe? If this is your first time here again, welcome, but allow me just to give you some context of where we're at. We've just been doing like a small, short, little series on what it means to be a local church, the form and function of a local church, the form and function of this. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, hopefully you'll get a sense and picture of what Jesus is calling Christians towards, how we are to live and how we are to be. See, as a local church, we're, we're covering what we would just say is like the bare essentials, easy peasy stuff, the non-negotiables. I mean, to say it even more, you know, with more firmness, basically, if you wipe away any of these fundamentals that we've gone over, we'd be hard-pressed to believe you are no longer a biblical church. If any of the things that we've talked about in the last couple weeks or tonight was to ever be removed from the church, again, we believe that you are no longer a biblical church. 
Here are some of the non-negotiables we've been cracking open. If you remember the Christocentric, like the Christ-centered nature of the church. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the integral understanding of us as community and family. And now tonight, another topic that, again, I hope we never get tiresome of hearing or doing or being, and it's the topic of mission. It's truly, I mean, mission is a practice I so desire that we, as a church, stake our life upon. See, this is a practice. Mission is a practice of the church that will determine if this community will live or if this community will die. A church which is not on mission is either not yet or no longer the church or only a dead church itself in need of renewal. That was from Professor Bart, who just kicked us in the teeth. I want to read it one more time. A church which is not on mission is either not yet or no longer the church or only a dead church, itself in need of renewal. So before we go any further, I want all of us, Christian or unchristian, to be unified with what in the world I'm talking about. Because I can assume right now some of us could be thinking, mission, mm, evangelism, or mission, short terms to Uganda. Mission, long-term to Romania. Mission, those like Spanish like sort of settlements in San Diego. What I want us to see with mission is how God has designed this cosmic idea. And the Bible passage I'd like to see this from most vividly is Isaiah 6. So before we go there, allow me to set this up for you. Before we go there. See, once upon a time, there lived a extremely prosperous king, an extremely prosperous king. His people and, and the land, they had um, a time of immense safety from their enemies. Even agriculture and commerce was flourishing. Again, for this king, it was truly quite a life. And at the end of his age, this king stood above and looked over everything. And rather than thanking or worshiping or giving praise to God, his heart actually tried to overthrow God. And pride filled his veins, and self-confidence rotted his bones. And like a Shakespearean you know, hero, he had a tragic ending. And upon his death, everybody went nuts. As his heart was being corrupt, and he passed away, the, the, the people went crazy, shouting, what shall we do? Panic set in. The world is no longer okay. Where our hope resided was this king and he contracts leprosy and now we're all dead. Essentially failure and fear and mass fracturing on all levels. So what is one to do? Well, Isaiah chapter six, verse one. We will see God's solution to this mass panic. In the year King Uzziah died, that's our king. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood seraphim. Each had six wings. Two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook, at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And if you're new to the Bible or not a Christian, allow me to expand upon this. There is something unbelievably 
beautiful and terrifying about the presence of God. See, with moments and mysteries like this, where God the infinite brings near, you know, man the finite, every time there's this predictable pattern we can see from these biblical accounts. Almost every time it's like this predictable pattern. See, something is not right. The world is falling, falling apart. What shall we do? Hope is lost or forgotten. And then God brings individuals closer and closer and closer to himself, beautiful and terrifying. And Isaiah, this prophet, has one of the most stunning and marvelous interactions we see in all of the Bible. There's these fiery angels swarming, swarming. The foundations are trembling at their singing. There's smoke everywhere. Like, a, like a, the world's craziest, biggest like dive bar. There's smoke everywhere. And Isaiah sees the Lord. When the earthly king is dead, Isaiah sees, says, I see the true king. The earthly king may be dead, but I see the real king who is seated on the throne. And for the first time in Isaiah, chapter 6, Isaiah speaks to this eternal king, to God. And what are his very first words? Look at verse 5 in your Bible. What does it say? Woe is me. His very first words. In his own book, basically, he says, woe is me. So people have these very clever and grand ideas that they believe they're going to say when they get to God, right? I don't know if you guys do that. I do. Who killed JFK? Like, we always want to know things, right? Mosquitoes, really? Swing and a miss, God. Like we, we, we're, we have all these stupid ideas we want to bring up to God when we get there. Friends, we won't even be able to, to lift our eyes. Our first words will be in the vein of, woe is me. Isaiah continues. He goes, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. Friends, when an encounter like this happens, there are at least a couple of natural responses. First, we become very aware in sight of absolute perfection and holiness. We just can't but help notice our own filth. Like when you, I don't know, I, this is me. This is, I'm going to let you be really vulnerable. Like when there's something really white by my teeth, I get super uncomfortable. Is anybody else like that? It's like, I have yellow teeth. I'm, I'm really uncomfortable when there's like comparison. That's a really good analogy that fits this. But basically what I'm trying to get to the point is in absolute beauty and perfection, it's unbelievably clear who is the unclean one to Isaiah. Think of Moses. It's probably safe to assume everybody, whether Christian or not, has heard of the name Moses, right? Moses in the Red Sea. See, when Moses had his Isaiah moment, the presence of God was in a burning bush. Do you remember how Moses responded? He whispered, God, who am I? Mm -mm, who am I? Do you know how Peter, discipled, called by Jesus in the New Testament of the Bible, responded? He literally, literally said to Jesus' face, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. This shows us that to have a true and accurate revelation of the God of the Bible leaves us all that 
leaves us lost with ourselves, to feel as perished, to feel as annihilated, to be destroyed in the greatest of ways possible, to be devastated by the holiness of God. See, leaving Isaiah and Moses Peter to say, I'm coming loose at the seams here, God. See, God uncovers just enough of these glimpses of his glory, not just with prophets or the elite or warriors or kings, but God does this with a common man and common woman. Again, so why does he do this? Does he do this just to show off? Is God doing this with Isaiah just to mess with him? Look at my angel collection. Like, is he just doing this to mess with him? No, far from it. Here's what always seems to be the final reaction and response from these moments with a living God. Here's the final reaction and moments. Look at verse eight. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go. When God calls the common man or the common woman, it's an outbound calling. It is a calling to go. Moses, go to Pharaoh. Peter, come with me. Isaiah, here I am. Send me. Go. See, Isaiah is crying out, mission me. Isaiah is crying out, mission me. Mission me. To meet God for who he really is, like face to face, you know, in this sort of situation, it changes our DNA into a person of engaging on mission. Remember those sci-fi movies? where the doctor's looking through the microscope and they have that, you know, that big old crazy amoeba taking over another amoeba, whatever the science term is, right? Right, remember that? The cells of Isaiah are changing forever. God pulls us in to transform us to then send us out. Even how these Sunday gatherings like this work out. It is to see a glimpse of God's glory in the community and then to be propelled out author and missionary for like 30 years, Leslie Newbegin, stated it very well when he said, the church is not meant to call men and women out of the world into a safe religious enclave, but to call them out in order to send them back as agents of God's kingship. To send them back as agents. Send them back as agents. That's the simplest definition of what mission means. If we take the Bible like literally and authoritatively, then clearly the charge of missions is something much, much more than a church event, a church department, a church program, a short-term, short-term missionary trip. As vital as those things are, but that's missions with like an S, right? That's missions with an S. Again, mission is this word and idea of sentness. Remember Isaiah's sent me. It's this idea of propelled to be ejected out. And it's the very fabric of what we are all created into. It's an identity. It's an identity for all who follow Jesus. Christians, to say that like I, Casey, am sent out is the same as saying like I am Casey. I am, you know, I'm a Christian. I am a father I'm a husband, I'm a dancer. Those are all the things that I would say about myself. You laugh, but it's true. 
And it's intertwined with our DNA. Just as it's intertwined with the very nature and like makeup of God himself. The biblical God is by nature a sending God. He's a missionary God. See, God is both sender and sent. See, the Father God sent the Son, and Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, right? Which is the power and presence of God and the person of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit then sends who? You can talk in churches, right? The Holy Spirit then sends who? Us. Yes, the church. The Holy Spirit then sends us. Man, that's incredible. We even see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in Isaiah 6, didn't we? You guys jump by that, maybe by chance? Verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Now, we've gone on far enough, in my opinion, um, meaning for some of you, I'm probably annoying you, by saying sent and go and propelled and mission. And by chance, as I was when I was trying to put this together, you might be thinking, sent to do what? Yes, cool, let's go to do what? My man. I mean, that really is the question, right? What are we sent to do? Cool, what are we sent to do? Some of you may remember um, like the most incredible Twilight Zone episode of all time. It's my top three. You might remember it. It's when aliens arrive on Earth. You guys know what I'm talking about? And everybody's like freaked out. But the aliens have this book. And it says right on the cover, to serve man. Right? To serve mankind. And essentially what happens is they're trying to help, you know, man with the crops and, you know, develop, you know, humanity and mankind. But in the climax of the episode, as everybody is getting on these aliens' ship, somebody comes screaming up, right? They're screaming they be able to translate the book and decode it, and they come screaming up as everybody's going onto the ship. And what were they screaming? You guys remember? Yep. You can say, talk, what? It's a, it's a cookbook to serve man. It's a cookbook. Get it? They're eating people? <laughs> Whatever. It's an incredible climax. It's incredible. See, people didn't understand the true identity of why the aliens were sent. They didn't understand why they were sent. A mission for this reason, a mission for that reason? They had no idea. And the same is true for the church. There can be mass confusion on sending. Sent to do what? Why are you here? See, where we believe the mission is solely just evangelism. Oh, the mission of God evangelizes the world. If we were just to just propel that and say that, that would be a miss. That's like describing an oak tree by just, you know, talking about an acorn. That would be a miss. So what are we on mission to do? Well, I want to allow the famed author C.S. Lewis to answer this. He says, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christ. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermon, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. God went on mission for no other purpose. This is what we are sent 
to do, to draw men and women into Christ and to make them little Christ or much like Christ, to make disciples. C.S. Lewis is using a different word. It basically is like make disciples. To limit again missions, to just evangelism or short term missionary trips is short-sighted. It's far deeper than just conversion. We want to see man and woman be fully reconciled to God. Not just, yeah, Jesus is cool. Yeah, Jesus is fine. And that's not what we want. No, we want full reconciliation. A woe is me desperation for rescuing. Because we, I hope we get this, much like Isaiah, we are, we are very aware and we need to be very aware that we are anti-God by nature. Again, the Bible says that we are hostile to him. Basically proving that, you know, proving this by, by, by rejection and abandoning him and choosing everything else other than a rewarding relationship with him. So God sent Christ, Christ on mission to reconcile the, diff- the, the distance between man and God. And Christ did this by taking our guilt away. Christ did this by taking our guilt away. That guilt meaning that we are guilty of what the, Bibles would call, the Bible would call sin. See, we're guilty of every offense imaginable, deserving of execution, deserving of execution. But somebody stood in the way of that execution. Christ on mission came and removed all the guilt and he paid all the debt. How? By standing in the courtroom as the execution was about to be pronounced and saying, no, 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 no. You take me instead. See, Christ stood in the way of that execution saying, no, no, here I am, send me. Send me to the cross, send me to the grave, send me to the execution. I'll atone. I'll make amends for all of this guilt, for all of these offenses. Friends, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what the world needs to hear. This is why we go out and be ejected out and speak much of Jesus. We go out on mission. Again, the imagery here we see in Isaiah 6 is amazing. Look at verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. So it's so hot that this angel's not even touching it. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Look at this. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. What beautiful imagery of what Christ has done for us. Christ's mission was and is to take man to transform them into an entirely new creation. The Bible says this, therefore, when anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Reconciliation. What are we sent to do? What are we supposed to do? Reconciliation. Reconciliation. Now, here's what's nuts. Get this. Therefore, when anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Look at verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation, the gospel. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, Christians. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. 
For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So who now has the ministry of reconciliation? Thank you. Whoever said that. We do. We do. We are sent to tell of the reconciliation so that man and woman may become followers of Jesus and truly live for the first time. God asked Isaiah, whom shall I send, right? To draw people near, to teach them. Who shall I send to baptize them, to make disciples of me? Imagine, imagine for a moment, just imagine this. Let's get in the Isaiah 6 moment. Isaiah's standing there and he's waist deep in God's, like the train of God's glory. And again, the temple is shaking due to this angelic singing. And God looks at Isaiah and says, who shall I send? And Isaiah looks up in full passivity and says, Well, he looks at him going, pool, pool, that is a tricky one. Check with the pastor. He's into this. Right? Imagine for a moment. Christians, if we as a church avoid the calling of mission as God has called Isaiah, then dare I say we have lost the entire purpose of our existence as a church. If this is to be removed, we lost the entire purpose of our existence. Let's shut the doors, right? Let's close up shop. So the question is not if you're called to, to mission, to the ministry of reconciliation, to loving our neighbor, to preaching the gospel, to evangelism, yes, yes, of course, to making disciples. The question is not if you are called. The question is where and how you're called. If you are, if you are a follower of Christ, you are called. See, some of you will move to foreign lands and you will minister and you will teach and you will build wells and you will play with children and you will evangelize the nations and beyond. And that's epic. But that if, if that's not you, collective church person that does not neglect your commission to live on mission here on the west side. That does not neglect it at all. To first view your role in the places where you sleep, eat, create, work, play, and rest as an embedded missionary. For many, it's not our context that proved to be a challenge for mission. It's not our context. For the most part, a Christian's problem with influence is not where we're at, but a lack of understanding who we are there. Church, we can either be comfortable with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with our roommates. We can either be comfortable or we can be courageous. Again, I'm hard-pressed to believe that those both can't coexist. Last week, we had some amazing, amazing stats and metrics up on the screen. Past Lorenzo's going over it, you know, our, basically what it would look like to be a church this last year and where, we're kind of where we're at. And as a community, I mean, we are, we are crushing it. If you weren't here last week, we want to put some stuff out soon that you guys will be able to look at, but it's incredible what this church, what this community has and is doing. Again, I, I'm blown away. I feel like I'm, you know, I'm the idiot walking in and I'm surrounded by the coolest people I've ever met. Really, I am. This church blows my mind. And I just kept thinking, wouldn't it be amazing to see those same metrics 
You see those same metrics applied to our missional efforts outside of the gathering. What would they reveal for us as a church? What would it reveal for your life? What would it reveal for mine? Friends, the success of the mission of God in your neighborhood is not dependent upon me. The success of the mission of God and the plans and purpose of God and reconciliation for your classroom, again, for wherever you play, work, create, sleep, or rest, is not dependent upon me. It is not dependent upon paid professionals in ministry. It's not dependent upon Lorenzo, the other pastor here. The success of the mission of God is not dependent upon the church leaders or those, you know, that really evangelistic guy, you know, who comes every once in a while. We must get to the point where we're so sure of the fact that God has strategically placed every single one of you Christians where you are at for the ministry of reconciliation. That's, that's the clicking moment that we want. When we can wake up and go, as an embedded missionary, this is where God has placed me for mission, for ministry of reconciliation, to partner along with his mission. This is the clicking we want for this community. This idea reminds me of a quote from a theologian. I love this quote, but hopefully this can apply to some of us about mission tonight, where he says, the great Christian revolutions came not by the discovery of something that was not known before. They happen when somebody takes radically something that was already there, always there. Who will that someone be tonight? Will, will we as, as, will us as believers take hold of radically of, of what has always been there and step out from this place burdened for the reconciliation of our neighbor? I just kept thinking over and over today. I'm just trying to put this together. I'm sitting at the dining room table. I just kept thinking over and over again. I, I don't think the question the, 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 the right question for this is, what is there to lose? I think we need to start thinking about what is there to gain? What is there to gain? One of the ways that we have made attempts to love people with non-transactional love, meaning not just loving them or doing things for them so that man, they'll walk through the doors of the church. One of the ways we've done this in our attempts to deepen relationships and to create a non-threatening environment is with our... Um, our neighborhood dinners. You heard Katie announce them a little bit ago. These are these bi-weekly events we do, and they are to be filled with Christians and unchristians. If you're part of one, and you just see this big, giant group of Christians, bummer. This is not just for the church to have some like spiritual fun zone. This is for us to 100% show and exhibit Christ-like hospitality to our neighbors, Again, it's not to just get them in there and be like, poor sap, Bible study time. No. It's to be good neighbors, to care for them, like I've said. So I've had the, the incredible opportunity to be a part of a neighborhood dinner, or to be honest, um, in my opinion, I know there, there's other neighborhood dinners and they're doing great. Um, so I, I can't speak, but I'm personally a part of this one, and the host is killing it, crushing it. Um, there's, something, there's something about... Um, 
this sort of a neighborhood dinner, when people walk through the door, there's people coming through the door who really, you can tell they, in their past they've hated God, uh, they've hated the Bible, or they have no idea about God or no idea about the Bible. And I'm always, always, always so unbelievably encouraged that they're pumped to go, I didn't feel judged here. They're walking in and go, I don't feel weirded out here. And that is a, a complete um, success on my part. They just, we just realize that we just, we're, we're just friends. Again, Christ-like hospitality. But rather than me sort of rambling on about how he's created this type of environment, I just want to bring him up. So can we welcome Ross? So this is Ross. You going? I'll, I'll train with you. Hey, everybody. <laughs> so Ross, which one is your neighborhood dinner? Uh, the Lucerne Avenue Culver. Culver dinner. City. Yeah. We adopted it from you. It's me and Jeremy. Yeah. Meganson, front row here as well. <laughs> so, Ross, I'm just going to let you just sort of share for the next few minutes what your experience has been like and sort of the stuff that I just sort of built up about you. Yeah, yeah. Heck of an intro there, Casey. Don't let me down. Just crushing it. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah, so my name is Ross. Uh, I've lived in the, on the west side for about a year and four months. I moved over there uh, or over here after finishing up at USC. I moved in with... Jeremy and two other guys. And um, to, to talk about our neighborhood dinner, I feel like we should talk about our neighborhood. We live in the Lucerne area, which is very nice. A lot of families, a lot of, a lot of people pushing strollers around. And then there's us. There's four <laughs> guys that went to college together. Uh, we have a drum kit in our living room. Uh, we're just, we have a, couch, a gross couch on our porch. I mean, we, we, just, like, we didn't fit in, really. We didn't fit the vibe. And so we have to remember that it's a gift that we got the apartment uh, that we got after all because it's, it's nicer than what we thought. It's a 10-minute walk to my office. It's a 10-minute walk to downtown Culver. It's just awesome. Um, so naturally, when you asked us if we wanted to host neighborhood dinner, we were like, of course. This is what a, what a great opportunity to, to share our gift. Um, not to mention we like hosting people, and not to mention my mom just got me a, a crock pot. And <laughs> so we made some barbecue sauce, and I do pulled chicken every other week. But anyways. It's good. It, it is, is pretty good. It's really good. It's pretty good. Um, but uh, We walk in. He's got like oven mitts on, like an apron on. Come on in. Take your shoes off. Welcome, everybody. I love it. <laughs> so you also walked away from our first dinner with two bikes. You took yeah, two yeah, bikes. Yeah, he gave away bikes. You. That's right. He gave away bikes. But anyways, no bribery <laughs> at our dinner, just good food and, and company. But anyways, we, we, um, we took it really seriously from, from day one. And I remember, uh, I guess as far as like a click moment, uh, Jeremy came to me once, and uh, we were talking about it, because we, we co-host it, and he said, he said, yeah, I was talking to someone, and they, they just said they don't think they're working. I'm like, what do you mean working? And he's like, yeah, the, the neighborhood dinners aren't working. And I said, what do, you, what do you mean by that? He said, well, it's just a bunch of people that like already know Christ getting together, but not doing a Bible study. It's like this spiritual fun zone, <laughs> as, you, as you said. Um, and, and as good as that is, I think that's a good thing. Um, but, but I don't think that was the purpose that, right. that you and Lorenzo set aside um, when you designed it or, or architected it. So uh, I started thinking about why this was, why this was happening. Uh, and I realized that it, it wasn't actually uh, anything wrong with the design of, of the programming. It was that in, in my heart, I had already decided who was going to be able to walk through the doors of our apartment. Mm -hmm. um, I had already decided who was worthy, which sounds ridiculous to say, but who was who is worthy to be in my friend group and worthy to be in, in my living room and on my couch. Um, 
And so I started thinking about it, and I started thinking, okay, who's in my, my mission field, in my, my network, that I'm deliberately not inviting? Are there people that don't fit in or that I would be uncomfortable with? And, and I was realizing all this fear of like discomfort and uh, all these things. And so I started inviting people. And I started, uh, I invited my coworker who sits right next to me and also works ten, a 10 minute walk away. So there's kind of no excuse for him not to come. It's just right there. You can wait out traffic at our apartment and eat some, some pulled chicken, like I mentioned. And uh, I realized that I, I get all my flowers for my girlfriend from the same person uh, in our neighborhood. And I realized that I had been running into this, this guy who was uh, homeless or in between homes and in between jobs and kind of burnt, burnt by the church um, at, at a coffee shop. And I was like, why am I not inviting these people? And so we did start inviting these people and um, realizing that, you know, God's love is unconditional and, and covers all so- sorts of people. So my pulled chicken and living room should, you know, I should be willing to at least give that over to whatever he would have uh, for us on those, those Thursday nights. Um, and so I remember the first, I think the first dinner that I had, beforehand I had made a list. I made a list of all the people that I was thinking about. And I texted them all on the same day. And we had like 24 people show up one night. And it was outrageous. And of course, like, we're not measuring this by, by numbers. And, and there's, it's, it's hard to put metrics on it. But it did just feel right. And we were praying before that people would walk through and feel welcomed and feel loved. And that's ultimately the goal of the, the whole thing. Um, and I think the cool moment, so, so the flower lady did come. Uh, florist. The flo- <laughs> florist. <laughs> You're right. I'm sorry. Florist. She's lovely. She's so lovely. Um, I've been getting flowers from her for about a year, like as long as I lived in Culver City. And so finally I invited her to dinner and she was stunned. Uh, she came, she showed up right on time when no one else was there. So it was me and my girlfriend and her. She brought a bouquet of flowers. She brought coleslaw that she made for the pulled pork sandwiches. Uh, she was, she went overboard and, um, she was there for like an hour and a half and then she left and, uh, and she sent me an email the next day and said, um, I had such a great time. Please come by and, and drop off the, the coleslaw vial or whatever it was when you, when you can. And so anyways, I, I went over there, uh, after work and I went up to her and, um, I said like, I am so glad you came. I, I hope you enjoyed it. And she's like, you know what? I left early, but I really didn't want to. Mm. Um, I, lo- I loved all the people. She said, you, you got to understand. And she's, she's, I don't know, probably 40 or something. And she was like, you got to understand that when you get to be my age, it's harder to meet people and mm-hmm. it's harder to just have conversations with people. And your girlfriend is so lovely, and your pastor is so nice, and everyone was so cool, and the food was so good, and you know, blah 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 blah. And, and not to gloat or anything, but I think that um, this idea is is special. The, like the neighborhood idea or the neighborhood dinner idea is is really cool and can be used in a really cool way. Um, and so I think what it took me and Jeremy to realize is that we were really uh, we were trying to curate it. Mm. We were trying to filter the the types of people not even like uncool people but just the people that didn't fit my image of the person i wanted to be sitting on my couch with um so i guess as a as a as a word of encouragement because i am really encouraged by by these dinners and and what's been happening um my word of encouragement would be to to look at your mission field and think about your mission field and and think through um if there's anyone that you're not uh sharing the love of christ with uh, not necessarily sharing the gospel, that's great too, but who are you, uh, who have you built up in your head to not fit in your mold of the type of person that you want to be sitting next to you on Sundays or sharing a meal with? Uh, because that, that sort of realization really um, um, is, is working through me and, and changed things a lot. That's so. great. Thank you, Ross. Yeah.
So what, personally, what I love about Ross's short sort of understanding of this is, yes, neighborhood dinners are an outlet for that. We didn't set him up to say what he said about He said some nice things. We didn't set him up. We wanted to hear about his sort of experience and maybe it would hopefully click with anybody here. But honestly, the whole point was, not, not only is that just an outlet that we have like built into our rhythms as, as collective church, but that should just really be a mindset for our homes. What he's talking about is his living room and having people in his living room who are, don't fit his mold of people we normally hang out with or things along those lines. And I thought that was an extremely um, powerful encouragement and charge that he just gave to us. So thank you again, Ross. Now, I want to talk about a second way we can engage on mission here at Collective Church. And if I could just for a moment address those who are part of Collective Church, just for a moment or two. You see, another way of expressing our commitment to God's mission here on the west side of L.A. is through membership. It's through membership. We've been telling all of you for a while now that we want to roll out a more formal membership. Now, for some of you, that may come as a surprise. What? For some of you, you may be unbelievably pumped. And for some of you, you may be freaking out. For the next two minutes, as we wrap up, like I said, allow me to explain that this is probably not a church membership that you are more traditionally familiar with. So we know that there's a lot of baggage in some people's mind when it comes to church membership. It's done a lot of damage in churches and over the, you know, however many decades that this has been um, going on, especially in, I'm talking about more even the Western culture. So for collective church, this is not purely, our collective church membership is not purely based on shared affiliation. It's not based on shared affiliation. It's not just about joining or about belonging. This membership that we're charging and calling people to is about engaging and participating here on mission. Here on mission. In our mission field of the west side, this is what God has called us to as a church. See, it's not, it is, excuse me, it's not, uh, it is a, it is a, uh, it's based on a shared cause. That's the word I want to say. It's based on a shared cause, not a shared club. I want to make sure everybody gets this. It's more about a cause than it is about a club. See, when developing mission membership, we intentionally place the emphasis on engaging, on engaging in the mission of God as a church community. Essentially, that's it. Engaging in participation in the mission of God, that's it. There's nothing to sign. There's no blood sample we need. We're not asking for your PIN number. None of that. We don't need a hair sample, whatever freaky things some people might be thinking right now. That shared cause, again, is the mission, purposes, and plan of God. Everything we've talked about tonight, partners in reconciliation like we read in Scripture, making disciples, This is the membership we're calling this community towards. It's a mission membership. It's a mission membership. Our collective mission to a very focused part of Los Angeles, to a very focused, is to the people, is to the people who dwell and make up the 23 neighborhoods that sort of make up the west side. For those who will take part of this, this will give you, hear me on this, for those who will take part of this, this will give you an opportunity to tangibly express and make visible a commitment. We want you to be able to tangibly express and make visible a commitment to this calling, to this calling, with other collective church community members. 
So hear me on this. For those who desire to sort of like say, you know, you know, want to raise their hand and say, I'm in. For those who want to do this, for those who want to raise their hand and say, here I am, send me, you can count me in. You can count me in to contribute to the health and vitality of this church community. You can count on me for the sake of his mission and our commission to reach people and make disciples. Again, it's to say bye. It's to say goodbye to passivity. Again, think about this. Do you know why Isaiah, Moses, and Peter were so eager to be sent? Do we have any idea why? Do you, you want to know why? Here, here. Because God's presence in one's life reveals like a beaming light that I am not the center of my world. God's presence reveals to all of us that I am not the center of my own universe or galaxy. There is someone greater. There's someone greater. And my reaction, our natural reaction should be to, what can I do? Here I am, send me. So here's what's next with mission membership. We'll be posting details um, this week on our online community. And we're going to ask you right now to seriously, seriously, seriously consider your part in it. Everybody. Just because some of you may have been with us to 2014, the very first prayer meeting, we're asking everybody to consider it, to pray, talk over with spouse, whatever, what it means to own this mission as our own, to join him, to express to one another for his glory and our commission. This is so all people will meet Jesus and follow Jesus. This is so people will meet Jesus and follow Jesus. Again, everything that has been said everything tonight. It's not, I I really want to make sure this comes across. This is not to condemn any of us. Talking about mission, it's almost one of those things where people are like, I'm not doing enough. Maybe so, but this is not to condemn. This is to challenge us, to challenge us. Again, I totally get if, if this calling, even this mission membership that we're calling people towards is not for you. Maybe it's not for some people here. But hear me, We will not change our tone. Every member is a minister. Every member, every person of this community has been sent to go. We will not change our tone every time we gather. We'll be calling you to more and more and more of what the Spirit of God has for you. Tonight, Christians, each one of you must answer the question for your own existence. Tonight, tomorrow, and beyond, how will you respond to the forever changing question of whom shall I send and who will go for us? Let's pray.